Good morning, Beacon Church. Welcome to another Sunday morning worship service. It's great to have you with us. If this is your first time, you are more than welcome. It's great to have you join us. Um, first of all, just a quick message to uh, Beacon members. Thank you so much for those of you that were able to fill in our Returning to Vibe uh, survey about Sunday mornings uh, in the flesh, if, if you like. Um, thank you so much if you're able to fill that in. That really helps us know where you're at, to know your heartbeats, to know uh, your concerns and so on. Um, it's still a way off. Things are changing. But in the meantime, it helps us have those conversations to work out what's necessary. I'd love us to be back meeting together in person sometime in the first quarter of 2021. Um, don't know. We just don't know. But this helps us uh, consider the right questions to make the right plans and to make sure that as much as possible we as a family are able to step forward together. So uh, thank you so much for taking your time out to do that. Um, in a moment, David Horrell will be uh, sharing part two in our Hebrews, Jesus is All series. That will be coming up very, very shortly. Um, but first of all, it's our next Take a Step initiative video. This is number seven. Number seven. It's insane. How quick has that time gone? Uh, in uh, Take a Step initiative. This time it's Mike from Kings Lynn and he's going to be talking to us about discipleship. So without further ado, over to Mike. We see Jesus give the Great Commission to his followers in Matthew 28 verse 19 to 20. Here he tells them, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You see, discipleship is not about pointing to ourselves and our own sage advice, but it's about pointing people to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You may be someone who has reached out and shared the gospel with a friend or family member and you've seen them come to faith in Jesus. Or you may know another believer who's a step or two behind where you're at in following Jesus. Sometimes in these situations, we can miss out on that next step of discipling that person to follow Jesus into maturity as a believer. Perhaps this is because we think that this is meant for someone else who's part of a select group of special believers. However, when we see the great commission that Jesus gives his disciples, we see that this is not the case. Ordinary believers like you and I are called to purposely pursue encouraging relationships that help others grow in following and enjoying Jesus. Discipleship is intentional, it's relational, it's biblical, and it's also transformative by the power of the Holy Spirit who is with us. Now, you may be someone who has considered discipling another believer, but you're not sure where to start. Or maybe you've already started discipling someone, but you'd like something to supplement you as you do so. 42 is a discipling course that basically covers different key scriptures in the Bible that help us to know who we are and whose we are. You can check out 42 on the website 40-2.online. You can download the app there. And you can also turn to the order a copy of the book. Choosing to disciple someone answers Jesus's great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Let's be faithful. Let's enjoy the adventure with Jesus and let's go and make disciples.
great encouragement from Mike there to remind us that we can all play a part in making disciples. And uh, there are resources available. We can all fill out about depth when it comes to things like that. But the, um, the 42 project is great. Go and check it out online following that link that Mike just shared. And uh, even the book, I've got a copy of the book here that I'm working through with a friend. It's just a series of small devotionals, uh, just one a page, um, just easy, simple devotionals that take us through the foundations of the Christian life. You can do that together. And of course, you can have a look at the website as well. And in fact, I have something else that um, we can use if you want to hit me up for some ideas as well. Uh, there's other things I use sometimes for different people to work through. Um, these kind of things are brilliant, really, really helpful. So uh, please do dive in and investigate more and use them to your heart's content. Now it's time for David to, uh, to preach from uh, Hebrews chapter 2. I'm just going to pray for him and then we're going to hear his word to us today. Lord, we thank you that your Bible is still relevant now. All these thousands of years later, it is still you speaking directly to us, your people, for your glory, for our growth, for our help, for our benefit and for our encouragement. So Lord, as we hear from what it is you've put on David's heart this morning, we just pray that our ears will be open, our hearts will be receptive and every single one of us in this room, so to speak, will be able to uh, be challenged by you and to all have something to take home uh, where we know we can step forward into something new in our walk with you. So uh, we hand it over to you to do your mighty work in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Over to David. Well, good morning and welcome everybody to Sunday morning. Uh, it's good to be together, even if it's in on Zoom. And... Uh, this is the next best thing to meeting together and uh, we have the word of God and trust it be encouraging this morning as we look into it. The title of this Hebrew series is Jesus is All and um, I hope this morning we're going to see in some ways how Jesus is all and can be in all to us. The reading is in Hebrews 2 verses 5 to 18. We'll just read that together now. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man, that you are mindful of him, or the son of man, that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honour, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers, and in the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again I will put my trust in him, and again behold I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not 
angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus is all. I've entitled the message this morning, Living on the Edge, because that's what I believe these early Christians, these early Hebrew Christians were, living on the edge. I have a little story about a lady who'd reached the end of her life. She was nearing death. Her family was gathered around her and they heard her whispering, bring, bring. And they immediately thought she was thirsty and brought her some water. She just shook her head and simply said, no, bring, bring. One of the other family members remembered seeing her shout and wave a handkerchief in her younger years. And they brought that to her and she still shook her head and said, bring, bring. Still not knowing what she wanted, they brought her Bible to her and laid it at her bed. And the old woman still shook her head and said, bring, bring. With her last bit of strength, she pushed herself up in the bed and raised her hands. And with her dying breath, she said, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. And I suppose that's what we want to do in our series is to crown Jesus Lord of all and to see that he, Jesus, is all. So good title. The early church comprised mainly of Jews who had come to faith in Jesus. As more Gentiles were added into the church, friction arose between the two parties. Judaism was the legally accepted religion under Roman rule and Christianity only a troublesome sect. Because of this, they were being forced into making a choice to go back and be safe into Judaism, or be those who were being hounded by the, both by Roman and Roman authorities and the Judaizers. So they were in a hard place. By choosing Jesus, they were living on the edge. And the writer confirms that they have made the right choice in following Jesus and to encourage them to stay with Jesus. Judaism was a fading glory and it was only a part in a time of the overall plan of God. Judaism and the life of the Jews was only part in the overall plan of the Jews. To be an intentional disciple of Jesus, one way or another, we will experience living on the edge. But it is on this edge that we meet Jesus. We find him there with us in all things. He is on the edge with us. In decisions, very often decisions, it's like living on the edge because sometimes we don't know what to decide or how to decide. And Jesus is there to help us make decisions. I think coronavirus has created um, the, the need to make certain decisions and sometimes it's difficult. But Jesus is on that edge with us. 
uh, Margaret met uh, uh, one of the art group members down the town the other day and, and in talking to her she said to Margaret she said I, I was just one we were just wondering um, whether this was the beginning of the end of the world whatever that means and uh, yeah people are just thinking yeah this might be the edge and we're living on it if you go to the wider Christian community there's all sorts of dialogue and um, talk about the end of the world and about the things leading up uh, to, to the plan that God has for uh, bringing all things into place and there are a lot of things to happen in the future but all these things pass and eventually Jesus is glorified and we want to bring forth that royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Living on the edge, we sometimes experience that with our finances. You know, sometimes we're pushed to the edge and we don't know where the next penny is going to come from, or we don't know what's going to happen when. Uh, we need some money to pay for things, or maybe that's in retirement, or, or maybe there are pension troubles with the, the interest and stuff falling. Um, finances very people are living on the edge maybe you're living on the edge like that too sometimes it can be make or break then mentally sometimes we live on the edge mentally we struggle in our mind uh, to work out things about ourselves about God about all sorts of things and sometimes we're pushed so far and we might say with it it only needs just one more thing and I'll crack and we seem we say oh well we're living on the edge but that'll just push me over relationships sometimes push us to the edge and we live on the edge with our relationships and uh, this morning uh, we give us look how Jesus can help us he's there as we live on the edge and then there's end of life experiences. That's like living on the edge sometimes. What happens when I have to face my death? What happens that happens at the end of life? How's it going to work out for me? And we're so we're living on the edge. These early Christians were living on the edge. And the writer to the Hebrews were setting about helping them as they lived on the edge. Hebrews, in Hebrews we can find. Um, the goodness of the finished work of Christ on the cross for us. We read in, in chapter 1 that after he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That speaks of his finished work. It goes on to talk about his unfinished work, saying that he will roll them up like a garment in the future. And then it talks it talks about what he's going to do and in this passage this morning which we have read together um, we, we find you know it's this the unfinished work of Christ for us so it's his finished work and his unfinished work you know being justified by faith is the finished work of Christ in our lives that's all dealt with that's in the past we're justified we're complete we're acceptable to God were justified but being sanctified is part of the unfinished work of Christ in our lives which we find in this passage this morning being sanctified by him who sanctifies that's the unfinished work 
As Christians, you and I are a work in progress. I know I am anyway. And at whatever stage we find ourselves in each of our lives, there is always more to do. The Bible talks about working out our salvation in fear and trembling. It doesn't say about work to gain our salvation, not work for your salvation. Our salvation is an awesome thing. In this, Paul the Apostle is making the point that proving Jesus by faith is very different from trying to prove yourself by works. Jesus is not going to let you go, so don't let him go. Stay with Jesus. That's what the writer is saying to these Hebrews. Jesus is all. And there are some things here we look at um, where we know and we find that Jesus is all and he's on the edge with us helping in our lives. In verse 10, we read, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This is the first thing we see, that Jesus has the task of bringing many sons to glory, and he's doing that. How is he doing that? Well, in Romans we read that having all fallen short of the glory of God, Christ in us is the hope of glory. And Isaiah tells us, and he indicates that we were, act we were actually created for God's glory. In Corinthians we read, and it teaches us, that it is the Holy Spirit who transforms us from one degree of glory to another. That's an amazing thing. Us mere, weak, purely human beings are being transformed from one degree of glory. And Jesus is doing this for us. His glory is essentially you and I. Ultimately, in the end, we will be his glory, the saved ones, the redeemed ones, appearing with him in glory. His glory is essentially you and I, raised and ennobled and brought into the same glory he has. God then imparts significance and he stamps his grandeur upon us through Jesus. So as the psalm says, he crowns us with glory and honour. Interestingly, we find Jesus' prayer in John 17, and it seemed to be all about Jesus bringing many sons to glory. So that's the first thing we see. Jesus has the task of bringing many sons to glory. The second thing is in verse 11, that it is Jesus who clears up the mess. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Being sanctified is a process and it's part of the unfinished work of Jesus for us. It's Jesus who clears up the mess. Refer, verse 11 refers then to those who are being those who are being sanctified, those who are being sanctified by him who sanctifies, being set aside for a special purpose. Sanctified ones are living saints, not dead people. So then as followers 
of Jesus were actually going through on an extraordinary process in this life. We're going through this life, an extraordinary process. We're going somewhere. We're going to reach the goal of our faith. We're going to finish a race and we're going to receive a crown of glory. And that's all Jesus' work sanctifying us, bringing us, cleaning up our lives and cleaning up the situation so that we can become more like Jesus. It's Jesus who clears up the mess. The third thing we see in verse 12, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. It is in Jesus that we find the Father heart of God. He declares his own presence and his own involvement within the family and within the church, the ecclesia. That's what the reference is there. I will sing in the congregation, I will sing your praise. We remember that Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. So he's going to do all he can to bring forth the glory in his church. And in Revelation, we find the letter to the seven churches, the letters to the seven churches, talking about how we, as the church of God, can overcome, overcome the ravages set against the church as we pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Each of those letters concludes with a comment, he who hears the voice of the Spirit. And that's the very important thing we need to do as the process to enable Christ working us as he continues. In speaking of the seven churches, Steve said last week that Revelation has one message. Jesus wins, and he does win, so that message comes to us. However, the, the letters to the seven churches are about the churches modelling that, winning, overcoming. That's the process of Christ's unfinished work in our lives. Church ethics uh, really shouldn't be any different, you know, than work ethics. In presence, you expect to go to work every day and to turn up to do your work properly as you should. In timing, in timing we show our intention and our commitment. And energy, we show our energy. This is real-time membership. And if we have committed ourselves to the church, you know, what we're saying is that we love the church like Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. The next thing we see, it's in verse 17b. He's making propitiation for the sins of the people. So in this little bit, we see Jesus is the Lamb of God, having taken away the sin of the world, and he's making propitiation because he propitiation because he shed his blood for us. His blood 
never loses its power to cleanse, to heal and forgive. Forgiveness is, an, is at an unthinkable measure, unlimited God's forgiveness for us. His blood never loses its power to heal and forgive. So making propitiation for our sins is when and as we commit them. Propitiation actually covers and conceals my sin from the face of God for each single sin and this as an act of his mercy towards us. So we see Jesus being the Lamb of God for us which takes away the sin of the world. The last thing we see in verse 18 for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So in this last little bit, we see Jesus is the faithful high priest. He's faithful for us. He's faithful to us and faithful to God. He's faithful to the word, he's faithful to scripture. As high priest, Jesus is the one who has legal and spiritual interface with God exclusively on behalf of the people. He is the one mediator between God and men. He totally understands our suffering, period. He understands how our suffering comes. He understands what it does to us. He understands how in certain situations we feel totally incapable of what to do about it. And he shows us what is possible to do about it. He also understands our failure in whatever. You remember Peter's failure was where he began to appreciate Jesus' work of bringing him to glory as his son. We will fail, but failures are made good because of Jesus' high priestly work for us. He ever lives to make intercession for us. There's a verse in the Bible which says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, a very present help in times of trouble. A very present help in times of trouble. Jesus is all. Then we have a very good biblical promise we can take. And uh, this is particularly for us uh, more elderly ones, it's probably more pertinent to us um, in our age. And it's this, as your, <clears throat> as your days, so shall your strength be. Not your weakness be, your strength be. As your days, so shall your strength be. And it'd be good if we can just learn to claim this promise for our lives each day. This is what you said, Lord, as your days, so shall your strength 
B. Let him strengthen you. Let him bring you forward. Let him live with you, living on the edge of life. We're living on the edge, but that's where Jesus is too. Jesus is all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Amen. Yes, Jesus is all. He's bringing many people to glory. He's cleaning up our mess and he is our faithful high priest. We are not just, we haven't just been saved, we are also being saved. He doesn't leave us to flounder while we're still here on this planet. He's in it with us and uh, what a brilliant, brilliant promise to all of us. Uh, whatever it is we're working through, whatever hardships, temptations, whatever it is we're working through, Jesus is in it with us. He's here to help us. So let's lean on him. Uh, there's a couple of songs in the video link um, below to uh, help us continue our worship. If you want to follow those to YouTube or on Zoom, we're going to sing together. Uh, let's celebrate Jesus for all he is, because he is all. Let's make the most of him. Let's lean on him this coming week and beyond. And let's him... Let us ensure that he gets all the glory. If you've got any questions at all, a small one, what you may feel is a silly question, that they never are, ping them our way. There's an email address coming up in a minute. Get in touch with your friends from Beacon Church if, if you're uh, still just kind of looking in. We'd love to answer your questions. And members of Beacon Church, still ping your questions our way. Uh, let's, let's work it out together, as always. Please do get in touch and uh, do have a great, great week. Do not forget, Jesus is all. Blessings.